Turn with me once again to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. We had started this chapter last Wednesday, and of course we didn't make it fully through. This was a chapter that needed to be gone over so that when we get to New Testament passages that really give us much warning uh, through the Apostle Paul, through the writer of Hebrews, there's many warnings there. Do not provoke the Lord. Do not be like that generation. And Paul even says that these things were written for our instruction, not to do these things, to, to guard against these things, and specifically to guard against unbelief. Unbelief is comes in many forms, and, and if you really just begin to think about it, and sometimes we, we look at people in their unbelief, and we think to ourselves, well, well, we think a couple things. One, I can't understand why they don't believe. It's so clear. The other thing we think of is, in their unbelief, oh Lord, we pray that you would give them eyes to see, because they cannot without you. We're always looking in some sense of unbelief toward an unbeliever. But we don't look at unbelief in the sense of, the unbelief that we do every day. We don't live in view of the truth of God. Sometimes we take shortcuts. Sometimes we cut corners. Sometimes we want to go our own way thinking that this is the better thing to do in this particular situation rather than doing what our Lord has told us to do. Unbelief is something that we must guard against. If the Lord has given His Word to us and given us instruction in His Word, as many would confess that everything we need to know for faith and life is contained in the Scripture. So if the Scripture gives us instruction how we ought to live before God, then this is what we do. We don't go our own way. And the Scriptures make that very clear. You don't seek out your own path, but you stay steady on the Lord's path. So unbelief is something that we too need to be uh, guarding against. We don't need to just look at unbelief being something that is an offense that the unbeliever commits against the Lord. Because we are guilty of it as well. But there are many passages that express to us, trust in the Lord and don't lean on your own understanding. And that is so important because the things that we were going over last Wednesday, as we were working our way through this passage, we see Israel here in Numbers chapter 14, and actually you see it, of course, beforehand, but you see a majority of people that are supposed to be God's covenant people that are in unbelief. They have fallen into unbelief. They've allowed a few people to to have such influence over them to reject the word of the Lord, to begin to question his character, and to seek to go their own way. Back to Egypt they want to go. You see that rampant unbelief. As the spies come back, we remember this, the spies come back, they bring back a bad report. Yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants over there. We, we, can't, we can't go against them. And so the whole congregation lifts up their voices. They cry. 
They murmur, they complain. But even in the Lord's mercy, though they deserve great judgment, the Lord in His mercy does pardon them. But there is something that occurs here that we'll go over, and we'll, we'll go over some of these things we went over last Wednesday just to refresh our minds. But there is something here that we need to understand as well. Though the Lord pardons His people, He declares this, that they will not enter into His rest. So there's a consequence that still must be delivered out to the people for their unbelief. And yet, the younger generations who did not commit the offense, Joshua and Caleb, who did not commit the offense, also have to suffer with the majority. So sometimes sin, though it's on a national scale, sin has infected the nation, for example. Sometimes the people of God end up suffering along because being in the midst of the people... Sometimes this occurs this way. But what do we do? How should we look at this? Do we murmur? Do we complain? Do we try to seek to go our own way? Or do we follow what the Lord has told us to do? Even in view of suffering along with the wicked. Those are things we need to think about tonight. So we will... Begin tonight in Numbers chapter 14. We'll start tonight in verse 20 and read through and kind of refresh our minds on some of these things. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Let us give our attention to the holy, inspired Word of God. Verse 20. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has, he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, 
Your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. But Moses said, Why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? Do not go up, or you will be struck down before your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword, inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down. As far as Horma. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you once again for this portion of your word. Father, we, we desire that the Spirit of God would teach us tonight. That the Spirit of God would help us to see our faults. That he would help us, Lord, to, to see what is good and right in your eyes and to carry these things out in the midst of an unbelieving nation. How shall we live? What shall we do? Father, help us not to go our own way, but to always look to your word as our guide, as the Spirit guides us through the Scripture. Father, may you be glorified in our hearts tonight, and may you bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> you know, this passage, I mean, it truly gives us a, a great example of what not to do when the Lord says, this is how it should be, or the Lord says, this is how you live, this is what you do in this circumstance, this is how you trust me. We understand very clearly from this passage that these are indeed things that we should be doing. Lord, you know your way is best. You know all things. You have only told us those things which are good and right. You have not told us anything that is deceitful, that is weak, or the wrong way to handle something or whatever. We need to understand that very clearly. And this passage really helps us to to see the consequences 
of what results from unbelief. And we see the result there because of how the Lord is displeased with his own covenant people. He's not understanding here. He's not saying, well, I understand why they're upset. And I understand that maybe they have this feeling or this feeling here. Maybe we just need to comfort them a little bit more so that, that they'll, they'll listen to me. No, this isn't how this is working. The Lord has indeed been patient with them. He has pardoned them these ten times as Moses brings up before the Lord. There's still consequence there because they decided to go their own way. As we've looked at and talked about, it isn't so hard to see that the church in America is in trouble. It is not healthy at all. There are so many variations of the gospel that are out there. So many variations of what it is to be a Christian and what it means to walk by faith. What it means to follow the Lord. We have the very patriotic American version Christianity. That all that wants to happen is holler, our rights, our rights. Granted, as citizens of this nation, we have that opportunity to make our voices heard. But we have to understand something. If we cannot take our Christianity in which we live by, which we believe, and take it to another remote part of the earth and live in the same way, then we have a problem. We have a hybrid. We have a heterodox Christianity. Another, a different. There are so many times in which you see a very patriotic Christianity that's doing nothing more than bringing dishonor to Christ by how they bash others. How they will take the scripture and use it as a sledgehammer to bash everybody else because they're not being a good American. The very thing that we need to be concerned with more so than anything is the truth of Scripture, living by Scripture. Living by faith is living by Scripture. Not going our own way. Not deciding that the best, better thing for us to do is to lock arms with these people that deny the gospel because they're good patriots or whatever the case may be. And do what they do. So in the midst of things that go on in the nation, if we're looking at it from uh, the, the scale of everything that's, that's happening, we look back and we see perhaps how the American church began, started well, maybe. And at some point, they veered off. When they veered off, they veered off way off. So the things that are happening today, could we look at and say, perhaps it is because of the previous generations that these things are happening. That the church had failed to live by faith. The church failed to, to bring the, the, the gospel to the forefront of all. 
The church cowered back because of secularism. And the things that we see now, perhaps looking at it as a judgment from God that we're all having to endure. When you look at Romans 1, for example, and you see Romans 1, you see the degradation that occurs there. Actually, let's, let's just look at it and, and we can see that. In Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> we can start in verse 18. The scripture says, <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. When we look at our own nation in view of Romans 1, it seems as if we're there. And so what is occurring in our own nation could very well be looked at indeed as a judgment of God upon a wicked nation. So we can see that. We can acknowledge that. So then what do we do? What do we do in the midst of this? Do we invite politicians and famous speakers who agree with us politically to come fill the pulpit? No. We keep living by faith. We keep trusting the Word of God. And we keep performing the very things that the Word of God tells us in view of what God is doing. Do we pray for them? Absolutely. We talked about that. Perhaps the Lord will bring healing 
bring us out of this degradation at least? We don't know. But the very things that we ought to be praying for is what we had talked about last Wednesday because that is the job of the people of God. It's not to be troublesome meddlers, as the Scripture says, as Peter says. You pray on behalf of kings and all who are in authority because God is the Savior of all men. He's the Savior of all kinds of men is the idea. We see Moses who intercedes on behalf of the people who have just committed such grievous sin against the Lord for the tenth time. What does Moses say to the Lord? He appeals to the Lord in two ways, as we talked about, because of their unbelief, because of their rejection and rebellion. This is serious stuff. This isn't just, oh, this is just something small. I mean, this is the Lord who has brought this people out, perhaps a million to two million, depending on who you read. Brought them out of Egypt by a mighty hand with all these wonders and all these signs and showing his dominance over the gods of Egypt parting the Red Sea, manifesting His glory to them in various ways. And they say, we're not going His way, we're going back to bondage. That's like those who have made professions of faith, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, trampling underfoot the Son of God to say, This is not for me. I'm going back here. Now, granted, they were never converted to begin with, but that is spitting in the face of the Son of God. This is what they have done. This is why it's so serious. It's not an instance in which maybe the Lord overreacted. The Lord didn't overreact. He has dealt with them these ten times. So Moses comes before them, or before the Lord on behalf of these that have rebelled against him and appeals to the Lord in two ways. He appeals to God's mercy. First off, he says in verse 13, But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, Because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath. Therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. So Moses intercedes on their behalf. And he appeals to the Lord, and he says, Lord, irrespective of this people, what are the nations going to say when they hear of this? It is going to be a black mark on you, because by your divine power you showed how great and majestic that you were then in Egypt. What will they say then, that you couldn't bring them into the land? So show them, show them by your mighty power what you can do. Irrespective of what they think of you, show them your faithfulness. Show them the almighty God by doing the very thing that you said you would do. 
So he is, he's appealing to the Lord, not asking the Lord, Lord, but they're just so pitiful people. Lord, look, look at that one over there. He ended up having a bad night. Uh, this one over there, they're having marriage problems over there. And so it's just a whole lot of stuff here. Lord, just, just have a little bit of mercy. He doesn't even bother with pointing out the people. He's saying, Lord, think of you. This is for your reputation. And he appeals to him in this way too. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So Moses, back in Exodus chapter 33 and Exodus chapter 34, remember, Moses says, show me your glory. The Lord says, I will pass by, make all my goodness to pass by you, and I will declare my name. And when the Lord declared his name to Moses, it's these very attributes that he said to Moses. And so then Moses is appealing back to the Lord to say, Lord, this is whom you declared yourself to be. You are full of loving kindness. So pardon, pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, your covenant loyal love in view of this covenant loyal love, pardon them. And so Moses appeals to the Lord based on his character, based on his attributes, based on his loyal covenant love he entered into with this people. So again, Moses is not pointing to the people to say, Lord, there's just so many things going on. Let's give them an excuse as to why you shouldn't do this. Moses is continually pointing back to the Lord, not even mentioning the people. This is who you are. This is who you've declared to be. You said you were going to bring this people out. Show the nations that you are the faithful God, and by your mighty power you can bring them in there and pardon this people to show your loving kindness through this covenant that you've entered into with this stiff-necked people. This is how he intercedes on behalf of them. That's a great lesson in itself that we come before the Lord in prayer and we're interceding on behalf of others. We shouldn't be necessarily praying, Lord, this is what's going on in their life. They're in their unbelief, and they're in their unbelief because this situation happened to them. This situation happened to them. This is what led to this, and this is what led to this. No. We say, Lord, show them who you are, if it be your will, by opening their eyes that they may see the glorious God who can save them. Show this wicked nation your power by bringing forth your will in spite of their rebellion. Show them who you are. This is how Moses is praying. Have mercy on them 
not because of anything that is in them. But have mercy on them. Make your name great. Now look at this. <clears throat> Intercessory prayer on behalf of those who don't believe is not in vain. We've seen that with Job and his friends as we read it last week. The Lord wouldn't had told Job's friends, you go offer sacrifices, and when Job prays for you, then I'll forgive. When he does. Because I've accepted him. And we read in the scripture of calling for the elders when sin is involved, that the elders may intercede on your behalf. This is not in vain to pray for a wicked nation that God would have mercy or that God would fulfill his will in spite of the rebellion that goes on in the nation. Here's what happens here. The Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. I'm not going to wipe them out, though that's what they deserve. I have pardoned them. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory, my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor any of those who spurn me see it. Though the Lord has pardoned, there are still consequences as to what has happened. <clears throat> These consequences are that the children of Israel are going to wander, wander in the wilderness for 40 years. The spies had went into the land for 40 days. They come out. They give a bad report. They get the people to rebel against the Lord. What are giants in comparison to the Almighty? They don't think in, in those, those ways. So they give a bad report, they stir up the people, and the Lord says, for every day that you were there, it'll be a year. So for 40 years, they're going to wander in the wilderness, going from place to place, until that generation dies out. And, it's, and he could have annihilated them then. But because of his loving kindness, because of his grace, because of his mercy, he endured this generation until they were gone and raised up a new generation. A new generation that would follow him and trust him. But until that happened, even those that were in the congregation who had not committed the offense as the older generation did still had to suffer along with them. There wasn't a separation there. It wasn't a matter of, since you all didn't do what they did, I'll let you come on in. You guys have to go wander. No, they are one people. So what happens to the one happens to the many. So they all have to endure this chastisement of God together. So there is... There is a time in which the people of God suffer. And their suffering, by the way, is not 
just because of a previous generation, because they did this, you just have to endure it. This is a matter of in the midst of your suffering that has been granted to you according to what we read opening, it's all by the decree of God, this is what is sharpening you. This is what is, what is focusing you to do the very things that the previous generations did not do in order to deliver to the next generation what they ought to be doing. Because by the time you get to the end of this 40-year period, you have Caleb, you have Joshua, they're ready. They're ready to go into the promised land. They're ready to, to follow the Lord wherever He leads them. And the people who are there are ready to follow. So if everybody 20 years and up has died, then those younger generations have had to be taught to be faithful unto the Lord. In order that that generation die out, the new generation come up. So the very thing in the midst of suffering, along with the wicked, along with an evil nation that has rejected and rebelled against the Lord. And by the way, I'm not trying to make, as I said last week, not trying to make America to be the covenant people of God because they're not. The Lord didn't make a covenant with America. But we recognize that the covenant people of God are in America, just as they are in every other nation. So the things that go on and the, the, the slander that occurs and, and, and the opposition that occurs, and it seems as if, you know, what, what's going to happen? There's so much nonsense going on. You scratch your head, you know, how can they buy into this? This is just, this is just ridiculous. And so then it, it, there's impact into the family of what's going on on the national scale that you have to deal with. There's impact at your work. There's impact among your friends that you have to deal with because of sin, because of wickedness that has permeated the culture and, and the nation as a whole. But the very thing you don't do is to bring reproach upon the Lord for acting in a way that is not consistent as a citizen of the kingdom. Not of America, a citizen of the kingdom. A citizen of the kingdom will walk worthy of their calling regardless. So, as they are preparing to go into the promised land throughout these 40 years, we don't just throw up our hands and wonder, well, what's going to happen to the next generations? What's going to happen here? Well, well, let's do our part and teach the next generations. Teaching them and instilling in them, instilling in them a solid biblical foundation for everything in life. Give them something solid to stand upon when they have opposition that comes their way. Not to be like the rest of the nation that has their feet planted firm in midair when it comes to morality and when it comes to anything else. We want to give the next generation something solid, a foundation, a basis that when they receive opposition or they're receiving an influence to say, this is the better way, then they automatically think to themselves the very wonderful saying of Odie Bauckham as he says to them, you know, on what basis do you say that? How do you measure that? 
On what grounds do you say that? On what grounds do you believe that? They will ask questions. They will not just buy into anything that comes their way. They will be analyzing it. By what standard? By what standard do you say what you're saying? What's your authority? What's the basis on which you declare these things to me? If we instill within our children in the coming generations that the word of God is the only objective standard when it comes to how we ought to live before God, then these other influences, even though they might be a conservative influence, these other influences cannot penetrate their hearts and lead them into error when it comes to the scripture and how the scripture ought to be used and how the scripture ought to be lived by. Some, that's some of the very things that we failed to do. As we've talked about before, especially with, with our children, you know, our children are bombarded with things every day. With new ideas, new philosophies, and they need to be trained. And we need to take time to train them. Take time to instill in them the truth of Scripture in view of all the error that occurs. Because that's what they're doing throughout this 40-year period. They have to suffer along with them throughout this, this time. But they're preparing the next generation's And that's what we ought to be doing too. Suffer as a good soldier in Christ is what Paul tells Timothy. But don't neglect one of the main things that we should be doing is living in view of the generation that will take our place once we die out. Because they'll need to be prepared. They'll need to, to have a people that will instill in them true truth, as Francis Schaeffer said. And to teach them as well that unless we do things the Lord's way, according to the Lord's standard, the Lord will not be with us. Look at this. So when Israel hears that this is the judgment of the Lord, that this is going to be what the Lord is going to bring upon them because of their rebellion. The people then say, well, let us go on and do it. We're, we're ready now. Now, notice how their words came back to haunt them. <clears throat> As they had said beforehand in verse 3, or no, verse 2. Of chapter 14, this is what they say upon hearing the bad report. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. 
Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Here's what the Lord says. Verse 28. As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in. And they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. So the Lord brings right back on their heads the very thing that they had complained about to begin with. Whether we were in Egypt, we're going to die in this wilderness. And the Lord says, yes, you're going to die in this wilderness just as you have spoken. So upon hearing this, what do the people do? Our worst fear is going to come to, tr- come to pass now. So Lord, Lord, let us go now. And Moses says, you're not going to succeed. You've already been past your time. You're not going to be able to do this. So they go up anyway. And then they're struck down because the Lord was not with them. They tried to do it in their own power. Knowing, as Moses said, the Lord is not with you. But let's try to do it in our own power. Maybe the Lord will bless. Maybe that's their thought. But that's not what happened. The enemy was able to overtake them very easily because the Lord was not with them. In the midst of of an evil generation, we don't turn to our own devices and our own ideas. You know, the church has done that. The church has done that in the in the past number of years. Let's come up with something new. The 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 nation's just getting so bad. What can we do in order to turn this around? Ah, we have some clever ideas, some great things in order to get these people in. If we get them into the church, surely everything will be fine. But in the way that we're going to get them into the church is not according to the scripture, not according to how the Lord has said that his church has grown. Let's come up with some new things. Let's take from the secular ideas and let's put it into the church. And what has that produced? Nothing. It's produced nothing. Did it accomplish anything? No. It didn't accomplish anything. Me and Jason had talked about when we had first started the church and we were reminiscing about some things previously on how one that we had known always said to get them into the church you got to use bait that's the secular idea is to use bait something that will attract them in and once we get them here then we've done our part maybe the lord will bless but we did not try to bring them in in the way that the lord has said When you go fishing, it's not being fishers of men to use bait or some kind of a secular idea. It's throwing out the net. That's fishing in biblical ideas or in biblical in view of the biblical time. You throw out the net. 
And then you catch the fish. You don't attract the fish. I have this wonderful worm. Maybe some chicken liver, whatever you use. You throw out the net. Then you catch the fish. And the net is the gospel. That's what we throw out. The gospel. If we want people in the church, we don't use clever ideas. We use the gospel. Because when we throw out the gospel, the ones whom the Lord brings in are those that clearly would have an understanding of their sinfulness before God. Are there going to be tares among the wheat? Yes, there's always tares among the wheat. But we're not trying to attract the tares. We're trying to have the tares be turned into the wheat. So we don't go in our own power. We don't go in our own ideas. We don't go any other way than what the Lord has said to do in the midst of an evil country. We stick to what we know is good and right before the Lord, which is the Word of God, and we battle we, we guard ourselves against unbelief in our own lives to keep us from wanting to go another way. There have been times throughout our, our 10 years as being a church, there's times in which you, you get so frustrated at things and you think, well, maybe we, ought to, maybe we ought to do this. Maybe if we did this, maybe this will be a little easier. And then you have to come back to yourself and say, that's not going to work because that's not how the Lord said to do it. So you keep trucking along, you keep moving forward to for those things that you know are good and right in the sight of God, what God has actually said. These are the things that we do. And what has God absolutely said? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, and teach your children. We know this. This is right. This is what's good. Will the next generation have to endure what we endure as of right now? Or would it be worse? Maybe, it, maybe it'll be like another nation in which they're actually being persecuted physically. We don't know. But in view of that, do we, do we try to shield them? and You keep teaching them. Because especially if they're going to go through worse things than what we are, they need to be taught the Word of God even more so. So that should move us even more. In view of how things are headed, we don't know if the Lord is going to stop it here and perhaps bring us out of this degradation or it's going to go further. We don't know. But in view of the uncertainty, we live by faith, we trust, and we be even more committed and dedicated to the coming generation. This is what we do. We know these things are right because the Lord has spoken them. These are the things we need to be committed. We need to be dedicated to it. So here in a few, a few weeks, we'll be going over that very passage. Loving the Lord your God and teaching your children. Prepare them what may come that's even worse than how it is now. This is what 
This is what these people done. So that by the time that generation had died out, Caleb and Joshua, the other second generation, suffering along with the first and yet growing in their knowledge of God, growing in their relationship with the Lord as a result of what they were all enduring together so that when the time come, they were prepared. They were ready. That's what we can learn here from this passage. Even in view of the judgment, the preparation that was taking place in the midst of it. Let us be committed to our Lord, absolutely, trusting. But let us be committed to, to the next generation. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, <clears throat> thank you once again for your word. Thank you for the examples that are here for our instruction, as the Apostle Paul says. Father, help us to guard against unbelief. Help us to guard against going our own way or coming up with something new to add to the glorious gospel of Christ. Father, let us never be guilty of that. Your gospel is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient. Help us to be confirmed in that. That our conviction would be that these these things, these statements are true. The gospel is sufficient. Your word is sufficient. Help us, Lord, to put it then into practice. Forgive us where we've all failed you. We have not lived in view of the coming generations. We've not lived in view of perhaps how things may grow to be worse. We, we don't know, but we trust you. Sometimes we live in our own bubble in view of our own lives. Help us to be focused on the coming generations. That the next generation will grow up knowing you. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our efforts. That you would bring more in from the harvest. Giving us opportunity, Lord, to cast out the net of the gospel. And that by your own will and by your own power, you will bring more into the fold, not just with our church, but with the church as a whole, that you would show your glorious power and your great mercy by bringing others in. Help us always to look to you, and may you be glorified in us and in our very lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your attention. You are dismissed.